Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's show. I'm Zach Drew. And I'm Andrew Bellers. We have some uh, pretty fascinating content for you um, today, and I'm going to go ahead and say that we're probably not going to be able to fit it in all into this program. Uh, it's going to probably end up stretching over two programs. But you, we, we're going to talk about, initially, this epic dream of Daniel uh, in Daniel chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar had about this image of a man, this, this fascinating statue with a, a gold head and silver arms and a bronze chest and belly and iron legs and feet of iron and clay. You're like, what in the world did this mean? And, and some of you that have been studying prophecy kind of have probably a general idea of what this dream meant. But I'm going to be sharing some insights that I believe that have just been revealed uh, to us through studying this of that fifth and final kingdom and how it pertains to you and I today. And how scripture says that that fifth and final kingdom, the, the feet there, is literally going to be the kingdom right before Jesus comes back. And what can that kingdom be characterized by is absolutely fascinating. Because you've got to think to yourself, you have a, a head of, of gold. You have the arms of silver. You have the, the, the chest of bronze and everything and then the iron legs. But then you have the feet, which are made up of two components. And I think you can kind of get where I'm going to be going uh, during this discussion but it's of clay, which is always an idiom of the spirit for you and I, which is dust, which is you, which is me, which is what we're created from. So the fifth kingdom was clay, and it was actually mixed with iron. Yeah, and this I'm excited about today because um, really what we're talking about is sort of a take or an aspect on the scripture that really only a few um, thought leaders and teachers have latched onto. Um, you know, a lot of people want to go a different direction with this scripture. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to be going over, I really feel like God has given us revelation for. Yes. That is, is, for me, has just been exciting. And I think it will, uh, I think it will help sort of describe or uh, bring meaning to some of the, the current trends that you're seeing in the world today. Absolutely. So before we get into it, I just want to, first of all, say thank you, thank you, thank you for those of you that have partnered with us, that have given last week. Um, we have had... Uh, since, since I first announced a few weeks ago that we needed a few hundred people to get behind us in a monthly reoccurring way, uh, a couple of dozen have already done that. Some of you have given one-time gifts, thank you, and those couple of dozen have, have literally partnered with us on a monthly reoccurring basis. That is what's going to make this thing grow, you know, by God's people getting behind this vision that we believe the Lord has put in our hearts. And let me tell you right now that if you want to give, it's incredibly simple. All you got to do is just go to www.zachdrewshow.com, click donate. We use a system that is an alternative to PayPal, which is truly a world system. Mm -hmm. It's called Tithely. And over 6,000 churches are actually using it in America alone. It's incredibly simple. You can just fill out your information. There's a button there if you want to click a one-time gift or a monthly reoccurring gift. You can do that. Also, we do have a P.O. box here in Decatur. You can write us at I-G-B-Y, and that's uh, P.O. Box 797, Decatur, Illinois, 62525. I don't ever want to become a type of show that has to, you know, that, that just has to fundraise the, the whole show. That's not my desire. I just want to give a, a quick two-minute, um, please stand with us. I, you know, I will definitely say we need you in incredible ways. We cannot do this without you, and we need you to stand with us now. So please consider 
being a monthly partner with us here at IGBY and the Zach Drew Show. Okay, so Daniel chapter 2. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about this. Is this really cool? So Daniel chapter 2, it's what's going on here in this moment is Nebuchadnezzar has this, you know, epic dream that we've all heard some things uh, about. And so what does he do? He wants to know what his dream is and what is the interpretation. So he brings all of his magicians mm-hmm. in, all of his sorcerers and his, his devil prophets, if you will. And he says, I've had a dream, right? And so they were, they were kind of always by, you know, the king telling him right. what he always wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. That's not what he wanted. You kind of feel like Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar knew the epicness, if you will, of the dream. And he wanted to know its authentic interpretation. So he said, as he's literally looking at these magicians and the sorcerers and these devil prophets, and says, I want you guys to interpret my dream. But you know what? I'm going to go ahead and not tell you what my dream was. I want you to tell me what my dream was, actually, and then interpret it for me. Oh, and, and by the way, if you can't do that, I'm going to chop you all up into some pieces and burn your houses down. Okay, so it's like, whoa, this is really hardcore. Like, I mean, this is a, an epic thing that the, the, you know, the king of the biggest, baddest king in the world at the time, which was, he was actually the king of what we believe was, you know, current, at that time it was Babylon. Right. And so you have to say, hey, if you can't interpret it, I'm going to chop you all up, and I'm going to burn your houses down. And so, you know, everybody's freaking out. It's pretty and good incentive. I know. I, I, would, I would think so, too. It's like, hey, if I don't figure this thing out, you know, my, I'm going to be in a bunch of pieces, you know, scattered across a few fields. It's right. like crazy. So anyway, so he's literally getting ready to kill all these, um, these horrific men, truly. They really were. Well, Daniel catches wind of this. Right, because they were going to actually end up killing Daniel too, because he was actually a part of that that too. But he was a prophet of the one true God, the God of the Bible. So Daniel goes to the king, and he says, "Hey, you know, king, I don't want to know your dream. I can tell you what your dream was, which was what the king was asking. And not only can I tell you what your dream was that you dreamt without you telling me, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the interpretation of that." dream so he proceeds by telling nebuchadnezzar what his dream was yeah and i would if i can just jump in here real quick uh, part of what makes this so exciting for me is because this is uh daniel is one of the great books of end time prophecy oh yeah uh, along with revelation Mm -hmm. but you know everyone recognizes revelation as end time prophecy what excites me about this is that there's that scripture that says that god wants to pour his his spirit out onto all flesh yes. that, you know, people will see visions and dream dreams. Um, and I believe that, that the generation that God wants to bring us into is a type of a Daniel generation. Because Daniel, like a lot of the other prophets, um, you know, most of the prophets or, or men of God, you can point to one of their great failures. Sure. You know, you know Noah, who uh, was drunk in the tent and Moses who killed a man and you know David the adulterer Moses the stutterer as well exactly but Daniel didn't have any great fault like that and I think God wants to bring this generation into a generation of purity and when we enter into that purity he's going to pour his spirit out onto all flesh and he's going to give us uh, these messages these dreams and these visions so that he can give his message to his people amen amen uh, a church that's striving to be like him, a, a holy church, a righteous church. Exactly. That's awesome. So I just want to encourage you right now, pray to the Lord that you would receive dreams, 
from him. Pray to the Lord that, that you would receive visions uh, from the Lord. And, and, and I believe that it really, it really is in correlation. Like you said, Daniel was a, a man who sought after God. Who was, his heart was pure. So that's a, that's, I love, that you, love that you said that. So let, let's get back to this. So here's the thing. So this, this vision that he received. So Daniel's saying, listen, let me tell you what it is. You saw a great image, like that of like a statue. And it was literally of a, of a singular man from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And his head was gold, okay? His arms were silver. His chest and his thighs, they were bronze. And then the legs, now you got to remember, how many legs do we have? We have two legs, okay? So that's, there's something to that. His legs were of iron and his feet were of iron and clay. So what this was, and stay with us because it, it'll, it'll get cooler and cooler. I'm telling you that right now. Is that it was a prophetic vision of the kingdoms to come. That's what it was. It was a prophetic vision of the empires that would rule the world, okay, and all the way up until the time that Christ returned. Now, that very first kingdom with the golden head, we actually don't even have to figure out and, and read between any type of lines of, of who that is because the prophet Daniel actually interpreted it for us in the book of Daniel. He looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and he said, King, you are that gold head, okay? So now let's, let's kind of get into some of the history. So that first empire, Nebuchadnezzar, the gold head, that was Babylon. And they reigned from about 606 B.C. to 539 B.C. Then they were conquered by the second empire, which was the silver, or the silver uh, arms, okay? So... They were conquered by the Persians. That was Second Empire. And that was 539 B.C. to 332 B.C. Well, then the Persians were conquered by the Greek Empire, which was represented by the bronze belly and the thigh. And they ran from 332 B.C. to 68 B.C. Then, and this is, you know, this is the one that probably we're all most familiar with. They were then conquered by Rome, and they began to reign in 68 B.C. So now, the thing is this. So you have Rome, which is the fourth empire. And everybody talks about the, well, there's the, the, the statue was four empires. There's four empires. There's four empires. That's like the common conjecture amongst, amongst everybody. It's four empires. But yet there's the fifth section of the body, and it's the iron and clay. Mm -hmm. And I would actually agree that there are only four empires. The Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and then the legs of iron, which is the fourth empire. But in our mind, one of my favorite Bible teachers explains it like this. The fourth kingdom, that Roman Empire, is in two phases. You have a 1.0 version and a 2.0 version. So the first phase of that fourth kingdom, the, 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 the legs of iron, that's the first phase. That's Rome 1.0, phase one of Rome. But there's a Rome 2.0 that is coming. And that is the feet that are mixed with iron and clay. So now, here's something that's interesting. 
So, the, so Rome, the fourth empire, then breaks into pieces. It is then seamed to come back, seamed together, to come back together to form phase two or Rome 2.0. And like I've said before, this is the consensus of scholars. In other words, the iron legs and the iron and clay feet are the same empires, but in two phases. I just want to make this very, very clear. So Rome revamped. Mm -hmm. so, so then the idea kind of follows our tracks like this. You know, a, a lot of people focus on the western leg of Rome. And that might be confusing when you see the trends of the distribution of power in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Because you think about, you know, Rome is not really a powerful, like, it's not the powerhouse of the world. Mm -hmm. um, so what a lot of people miss is that Rome actually had two legs, like you were saying. And that, and that is something, because that, that's the... I think the scripture always means something by what it says. You know, nothing is there by accident. So the right. legs, it did have, it had, the, 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 the Roman Empire had two legs. And people don't mm -hmm. understand it because like you're saying, everybody just thinks of one leg, which is the Western part of the empire, which is, you know, the, you know how Rome dominated Europe. But there was right. a, a whole nother Eastern leg that covered far more ground. Right. So I guess the case that I want to make right now uh, based on scripture is that we really should be keeping our eye on the right leg of that. And I'm going to start out, let's just turn to uh, Revelation and we're going to talk about the church of Pergamum. Oh yeah. Or, or Pergamos. Mm -hmm. And Zach, real quick, I just want you to tell me or to tell the audience what that word means, the okay. Greek etymology of Pergamum. So what he's talking about right now is that there's seven churches listed in the book of Revelation. Another really cool study that we're not going to get to today is that those seven churches, some would say, actually outline in order from Ephesus to Laodicea, the first being Ephesus, the last, the seventh being Laodicea, outline the spiritual history of the church, which is a fascinating study. But within there, in Revelation chapter 2, you have Pergamum, which based on your translation, it's either Pergamum or Pergamos. They both mean the exact same thing. One is just simply derived from the, the, the female version of the Greek word. Another one is derived from the male version of the Greek word. But Pergam and Mus, or Pergamum, it's two words. One of the words means marriage, okay? And the other word means mixed or objectionable. So a mixed or objectionable marriage is literally what the name means of Pergamum. Yeah. Now before we go into that, I just want to make it really clear before you talk about this, mm -hmm. that those two iron legs, we think of the western leg being the, the European countries that Rome had its grip on, but there was an eastern leg that was literally far wider in as far as geographical territory, and we just don't think about it. We don't think about how Rome literally invaded all of uh, several of the Muslim countries. And, and what's crazy is that the Western Lake, the European parts of the Roman Empire, the vast Roman Empire, it was done in about 476 B.C. or 476 A.D. But the Eastern Lake, it went almost a thousand years after that. It didn't finally collapse until it was overrun by the Muslims until almost 1500 A.D. Exactly. And the church at Pergamos, and we're going to get into this, and I'm excited to get into it. I'm going to have to go a little fast, so yeah, I'm going to hope that you, yeah. that you can, that you can uh, keep up with me. But uh, the reason we're getting into it is, is because the church at Pergamos is actually located in that eastern leg of the mm -hmm. Roman Empire. So let's just get through the scripture 
it's Revelation 2, 12 through 17. And it says, To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things, says he, who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Two, two things I want to focus on here. One is the, the word Pergamos literally means, like you said, a mixing of things that should not be mixed. Mm -hmm. The definition, the defining factor of that church is that things are being mixed, theologies or ideologies that shouldn't be mixed. Mm. And the defining factor of the return of the fourth kingdom is the, is the mixing of things that shouldn't be mixed. Like the iron and the clay. And where was this? Where, where, where is this? So it, let's just take this through okay. a short history lesson. And, and I'm going to show how, how Pergamos is related to uh, end time events. Okay. So Pergamos, or Pergamum, is located in, in Asia Minor, which once belonged to the eastern leg of Rome under the Byzantine Empire. It says the, the Byzantine Empire ended when the Ottomans overtook Constantinople in 1453. So when that happened, uh, this became the Ottoman Empire. Mm -hmm. So the Ottomans allied with Germany in World War I, and after their defeat, much of its land was divided among the Allies. And this successful Turkish War of Independence ending in July 1923 against the occupying Allies established the land as modern-day Turkey. So Pergamos lies in what is today uh, modern, modern Turkey, mm -hmm. which is where you know, the right wing of the Roman Empire is. That's right. So what's interesting to me is, is that God is saying that the throne of Satan is going to lie in what we now know is Turkey. Which is crazy. I mean, think yeah. about that for a moment. I mean, like a lot of people just read over that. Revelation chapter 2 actually lets us know where the throne of Satan is. Where is Satan's throne? It's in Pergamos or Pergamum. And where is that? It's in Turkey. So Satan's throne literally resides in Turkey, which is just, remember, this is really interesting because like, like I've said before, you have Rome phase one and Rome 2.0. So like this, this, whenever you think you're, what we've always heard, the revived Roman Empire, revived Roman Empire. So we think to ourselves, because we don't, we're not familiar with the eastern leg of this, the Muslim side of the Roman Empire, that it's literally going to be a revived Roman Empire in Rome, in the European, you know, countries. And maybe, but I don't see that. I think it's actually going to be a, a revived Roman Empire with its headquarters somewhere in the Middle East. And from there, they're going to be the ones that are really tackling or sending throughout the world this this new thing of, of clay mixed with iron, but we're going to get to that too. Exactly. And before I get any further, I want to um, really give credit where credit's due. A lot of what we're talking about here, um, where I found we're this, exactly, uh, I found actually from a teaching from a great spiritual leader by the name of Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. Mm -hmm. So if you have any questions about this or you want to just dig deeper, I would encourage you to go and look up his material. His study on this is really great. Um, but what I want to do now is I want to connect the throne of Satan that's described in Revelation with the Antichrist system. Okay. So the throne of Satan likely refers to what is known as the altar of Pergamon or the altar of Zeus, on which it is believed the martyr, the martyr Antipas was actually killed, the one who is mentioned in that scripture in Revelation. Hmm. 
1878, a German engineer named Carl Heumann began excavations on the altar of Pergamon. In Turkey. Yes, yeah. in Turkey. And they were actually in coordination with the Turkish government okay. at this point. So this is after negotiations with the Turkish government, the altar eventually became the property of the Berlin Museum, which opened in 1930 in Germany. Okay, so time out. So what you're saying is that these archaeologists, hundreds of years, was it hundreds of years ago? What, what was the year? 1878. Oh, a couple hundred years began, ago. Yeah. So they literally were digging up the altar at Pergamum, which we know from Revelation chapter 2, is Satan's throne. So they are literally digging up Satan's throne. And what were they doing with it? So, so basically, uh, the museum at Berlin was in negotiations with Turkey, and Turkey agreed, yes, you can have you know, this, this great archaeological find. So they opened this huge museum. It was in basically Germany, yeah. yeah, the size of a football field to house specifically this altar because the place that they had it before, it didn't fit. It's so big. So uh, in 1930 is when the museum opened, and then a German architect named Albert Speer attended the opening of the museum. One year later, after he attended the opening, he joined what would become the Nazi party. So this is interesting because after this, Albert Speer, who I said is an architect, uh, Hitler really liked his work and made him the chief architect of the Third Reich. And something I just want to point out just really quickly as a small diversion, uh, it's interesting because I've never know, I have never known what the Third Reich meant, but Hitler actually considered the First Reich to be the Holy Roman Empire. And he thought that they were sort of an extension of that empire. So I just think it's interesting that this the, the throne of Satan is located mm -hmm. in what the, is still in this regime being considered the Roman Empire. Mm. So to continue on, Speer was tasked by Hitler with creating a platform from which he could speak to the world. Speer built what is known now as Zeppelinfeld, which was based off of the design of this throne of Satan or the altar at Pergamon. So this architect who clearly, I mean, what would have to possess a man to recreate an altar that literally is where Satan's throne is? But this man is recreating the very throne that Satan sat upon in Turkey. Yeah, and to further, just to further correlate, you know, this object with what we believe will be like an antichrist system in the end times, I'm going to just go on to, to share a few interesting facts I learned, you know, from Rabbi Jonathan Kahn about Hitler and the, and the Holocaust. So as we know, Hitler would go on to commit mass atrocities, including the genocide of six million Jews, yeah. which interestingly is about a tenth or a tithe of the 60 million that died in the course of World War II. Okay, wow. And uh, the Hol an offering, that's kind of a weird word to say, is an offering. It is, and, and what is really strange to me, and I will never understand, is why the Holocaust has come to be known the Holocaust. What do you because mean? Because the word Holocaust in, in Greek actually means holy offering or burnt offering. Wow. So this figure of Hitler, who was in a way an antichrist figure, and at the time, some even considered him to be potentially the Antichrist. And then you have the altar of Satan. Exactly. In Germany, in Berlin. Right. And it was literally Hitler who sacrificed a tenth of the Jews. So literally, yeah. he is thinking to himself, probably, he is offering up on the altar right. an offering. I understand. That's 
Yeah. That's and crazy. And so the, the point of all of that is basically to say that there is deep and heavy spiritual significance to the throne of Satan as it's described in Revelation. And there's a really strong and powerful link between, between the Antichrist system, the throne of Satan, the fourth empire, and Turkey. Wow. So, okay. So this, is, this, this should be starting, if you're tracking with what we've been saying so far, there is going to be a revived Holy Roman Empire. Remember, the, the legs, that fourth, the legs of, of iron. And then the second phase of that, uh, 2.0, Rome 2.0, is literally the feet of iron mixed with clay. And it's not, I don't believe the headquarters is going to be in modern-day Rome. I believe it will be in the Middle East. And so my, my thoughts are, you know, would it be Saudi Arabia? Your thought is Turkey. I thought maybe even a Chinese presence one day in the East. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that Rome 2.0, that final, that final people group, because you got to think about it, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Rome, Holy Roman Empire, they literally became so vast that they ruled the world, all right? I believe that this last one is going to be so vast, the Holy Roman Empire 2.0, the iron and the clay and the feet, it's going to become so fast they're going to rule the world that the headquarters is going to be somewhere in the Middle East. All right, I know we have just a, a few more minutes left, so I'm going to just say a, a couple more things, all right, and then we're going to, to close out the program and get to the, the, some of the most interesting things about what this empire will be characterized by in the next show. So what will the Roman Empire phase two be followed by? So what will come after that fifth and final kingdom? Well, Daniel chapter two, verse 44 tells us, phase two of the fourth and final kingdom will be followed by the return of Jesus. It says in Daniel 2.44, And in the days of these kings, talking about that fifth kingdom, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Because he's saying that because all the kingdoms prior will all be destroyed. He will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And the, the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. So, in your minds, you're gonna, we're going to be able to study this last kingdom, and we're going to get into it, of what is going to be going on in this last kingdom right before Jesus Christ returns. So now let's read about this fourth and final kingdom. Daniel chapter 2. Verse 40 through 43. I'm, right now I'm reading, through the, reading from the New King James Version. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. And as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. This is talking about the first phase of the Roman Empire. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. There has never been an empire so vast, so powerful as the, the Roman Empire of, of this particular day. Whereas, verse 41, you saw the feet and toes, this is 
partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. The kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay or miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with miry clay, they will mingle with the seed of man but they will not adhere to one another. Just as iron can't mix like well with clay is what right. it's saying. So what is represented by the miry clay in this image, it's, it seems to be strangely mixed with something else, but not completely with the iron. And the term clay there actually right. refers to dust. So it's actually saying, you know, th there are something that we refer to as the idioms of the Holy Spirit, like throughout the Word of God. Um, in this uh, very text before, which we didn't read, it talked about how a stone was carved out of a mountain without any hands. And then that right. stone was the one that crushed all these other kingdoms. Well, we know who that stone is. That stone is Jesus. That's, that's, the, that's the stone that the builders, you know, rejected has become the, the capstone. Exactly. And so... An idiom of the Holy Spirit is, is this. Anytime something means something within the Word of God, it's usually consistent from Genesis to Revelation. Like the very first time that stone was ever mentioned or rock was ever mentioned, if you kind of go and replace that word in your uh, mind with Jesus, you'll see how it actually fits, fix, uh, fits the text. So an idiom of the Holy Spirit is, literally you see that rock and stone literally mean the same thing throughout the entire word of God. And the same thing like, you know, uh, a great deal of waters deals with great people or, or, or unruly people. There are certain things that just mean the same thing throughout all of the word of God. So we right. have clay here. Mm -hmm. And this type of miry clay refers to the dust. It's referring mm -hmm. to human beings. So it's saying here that human beings themselves will be mixed with iron and it is a curious phrase because it says they they will mingle with the seed of men they, which indicates that it's something other than man will mingle with the seed of man and there's a lot more to be said on this subject please tune in next week to hear our analysis of what this is saying we'll see you next week